0: Like, he had a relative that went away for a long time, and I get to come back just for one day and hang out, and that's—it's like Thanksgiving dinner for me. So just know that. So I'm so thankful you let me come hang out this morning. So that's who I am. Uh, I live in a tiny town called Atlanta, Georgia. Now um, it's so <laughs> fast there, and there's no beautiful beaches in Marshland. You, I ate seafood last night for the first time that was not frozen first in quite some time. So you have a good here, guys. Uh, it's so great. It's Charleston. So. Uh, there's my story. So, um, yeah, I, I want to talk this morning about a text in the Word of God that is so dear to my heart. But before I do, I want to set it up a little bit uh, by giving you a little personal story uh, that's a little crazy in my life. Have you ever noticed that when you're really in love with someone, you do things a little bit like, when you're madly deeply, passionately, head over heels, crazy in love with somebody, you do some things you wouldn't normally do. You almost get, like, superhero powers and tunnel vision in some ways, right? So I want to you a little story like that for me one time. So my wife, I told her her name's Andrea. We met uh, on a cruise ship uh, just after I had, had, gosh, walked through probably the most spiritual high of my life till so today. Met John Davis for the first time, so it's not because of him that I was in the spiritual. It was, it was actually um, John Davis taught on his first class, I think his first class here at Charleston Southern, um, evangelism, and uh, a Maymester. So one of those gap summer terms. It's fast paced, three weeks, five days uh, uh, a week, three hours a day. So a really crazy schedule. We're in Maymester evangelism and worship just broke. Up, like studying extra hard, uh, which was hard for me because that meant I had to read a lot more, and I can read like two pages, and my ADD brain's like, this are then I move on. Um, and so, uh, we studied extra hard so that the second half of that three hour class, uh, like an hour and a half straight, we would just worship. And for the first time in my life, like I was on the ground just overcome by the Holy Spirit. Incredible moment. I mean, that's what should happen in an evangelism class downstairs of the basement, right? Uh, in the library basement. And so we come to the spiritual high. I literally in that class just told God, I'm done dating. I, I, I've since learned that I have had an issue of codependency in my life. Um, and um, you know me, and you know, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and so, um, so I had this codependency issue. I I, I broke up with the uh, girl I was dating, and I said, actually, uh, we broke up. I can't take credit for that. She could probably don't me if I think about that. correctly. <laughs> and let's um, uh, just be honest. Hurts. And so I'm done. I've got am done. I'm done. I, I just want you. Right? That's all I want. And so the next girl that I date, she's going to be my wife, and that's it. And um, in three, four days after class ended, I saw for the first time, and then three days after that, finally happened, and i to lunch, go meet her, met my wife. So God knew how weak I was. And God promised, he said, okay, I really appreciate what you're trying to do, but I'm just going to go let you Wife. It's gonna be okay, and so she was. That became my wife. Met her on cruise ship. Walked up to her. Uh, she's from Atlanta, Georgia. Walked up to her and I said dumbest thing I think anyone could ever say, but it was brutally honest. I like to call it brutally. Have you ever heard that statement? When things are beautiful yet uh, yet brutal. at oh, the say time. Exactly. brutally. Sometimes you need that one. So I went. Up, I get the brutal truth to her, and I was like, I just literally. I mean, huge room. It's, it's the theater room. On a cruise ship, I walk up, and I come, and I sit down beside her. And I'm like, I, I just I just need to tell you something. Um, you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my entire life. And then I literally stopped and I said, did I really? I'm really sorry. Did I really say that? And she goes, that was the sweetest thing you guys ever said. And I was like, so you're not going to slap me? This is exactly what happened. So you're not going to slap me? She goes, no, that's incredibly sweet. And I said, OK, I mean, great. And then we got to talk, and her parents were coming back. And so I knew it was time to get disengaged. Um, and so, so we learned something about me, I'm you know, a little frightened. Um, and so, so I said, let's hang out. We hung out, ended up talking. Great place to date, first few days. It going to this for <laughs> <hours today. laughs> and I appreciate there's a pizzeria 24 hours a day. And we ended up dating, we get married. And so, I want to tell you a little story actually before we get married, the space like the between just before we get married. And that's the story of my proposal of the engagement. Now, now I, just want to, I just want to say, I, just, I don't know many of Papa Pala, but I feel like I did a pretty, pretty good job. job. So any guys in the room, I want to take notes because I think I've mean, we all got good stories, but mine's better. Let's just be honest, okay? All right. I'm just kidding. I'm not that bad. All right. So I want to tell you a little bit of what happened. So picture this for a moment. I'm living actually, I wasn't cool enough to live on campus like some of you people. So I lived at home, which was just down the street in my parents' house. I had a really cool room. It was a big room. We still got some home cooking for my mom. I hung out here on campus with some of my favorite friends uh, in their dorm rooms, uh, as if I practically stayed for free. Uh, and, And a couple of my friends that were here I've actually told people about this gazebo on the other side of the country, and I have to have this picture because they don't know what I'm talking about. It's huge. Just look at the Spanish moss and the trees. It's like this in Atlanta, Georgia. All right, so the gazebo, the battery, her around the world, great place to be. So that's where I'm going to propose her. Why? Because it's the first place I ever took her when she visited Charleston with me for the first time. All right, so this is where it's going to end. In the bedroom at my parents' house. We decided we're going to set up a mock example of the gazebo. So here's what we do. You know what? We should have some candles. All right. We get some candles. We line the candles in a circle around just as if it was going to be the gazebo. Chris is like, hey, you know what? We need some, some rose petals. Great. We get some rose petals. Well, let's blow those out here in the bedroom and make sure it looks great. You know, we need some ribbons. That'll make it look really cool. We want to tie those around i to flip them around there. quick All right. So Wes is up here hanging on these ribbons around. Just three guys hanging out in my bedroom with my parents' house, right? Beautiful. And then, um, then I'm like, all right, don't forget. We need to get the boombox. That's what we used to call something, that now it's just basically a Bluetooth device. Um, we get the boombox, <laughs> with the CD player just passed tape deck, and it had a tape deck. And so we get the boombox set up, and this guy wanted special songs just to Andrea and myself. And so we hit play. And then Chris is like, you know what, sometimes we get a candle and the wicks don't burn quite right, right? So let's test all these candles. So we got something like, like 50 candles laid out. I'm like, all right, I don't know if that's a great idea, but let's do it. So we light all the candles. All right. So you got the scene pictured? Are you with me? Parents bedroom, three dudes, my parents are in the house. We're standing in the middle of what now looks like a seance camp. Uh, <laughs> it's beautiful and terrible, fruitful all at the same time. All right? My dad's walking by by this time, he's like, what is wrong with my son? <laughs> uh, and so, so then we're there, I'm like, guys, I think it's great. We got it. Everybody know the plan? We're good? Yes, we're good. Weston said, whoa, 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 we need to practice. I was like, practice the brother? We just do, We got it. Chris like, yeah, we're good. We're good. Weston goes, no, no, no. Now we need to practice. Okay? He goes, let's dance. And I said, no. He's like, yes. So we dance. Now Weston's a bigger dude than me, just to know that. So I'm like almost fell button. I mean, he's a pretty tall guy, and and so I'm dancing. I'm like up here, and we're dancing, and it's beautiful. It's his special song. Just when my wife and my dad's walking by, and he's like, "Chris is over in the corner." <laughs> and and then we get down, I'm like, hey, that was great. I feel good about it." Weston goes, "No, no, no, we're not done." I'm, what in the world? He goes, "Ask my married. I was like, "No, Weston, that's I don't need to practice. This, this really happened." By the way, I wish it did. We didn't practice this. Ask me to me. Now. Ask me. Get down on one knee. And so I did, because it's tall, it's scary. So I got down on one knee and I looked up and I'm like, Andrea? What Weston? Andrew? Who are you married? And
1: he didn't say anything. I just noted, okay, I had my head down like this
0: because I'm ashamed, right? So that, takes by, worries about his son. <laughs> and and Chris in the corner. And I had my hand up like this. His hand was in my hand. It was a frightening moment. And for a friendship. And and he didn't say anything for like at least 10 seconds, which felt like 10 minutes. And I looked up. I'm not making this up. I looked up and here's Weston, gator tears, like a little (gasps) schoolgirl. Yes! I win! Beautiful. I said, maybe it's for us. Best moment ever. Right? I can't really that moment. I wish good. could. Maybe it's for us. And she about lost it. And so we get up there, we have a moment. It's beautiful. Everything worked. It was better than with Weston. And she said, yes. We danced it. We danced. We, we cried. Wesley and Chris come out of the trees. Everybody's hugging. And it's a beautiful night. And that was a huge moment in my life. Right? However, if I tell you the whole crazy, weird story, because. That massive moment was then followed by what was the longest year and a half of my life, the engagement period. <laughs> <laughs> in <laughs> I really I'm going to say Jesus later and I won't get a clap. But <laughs> There for her and it's one of the most beautiful moments of your entire life. I, I, I have had three girls now. My wife has said three girls now. I gotta stand in the room to yell at. But we had three girls. And those were all incredibly beautiful moments. But not as beautiful as that one. When the door opened and my wife and that beautiful wife just was stand there waiting for me and I was there for her and she came. What I want you to see is between this massively incredible moment and this massively beautiful redeeming moment in the middle was a year and a half. I want to call this morning, that year and a half, the space between. I think many of us have lived in the space between, we might currently be living in the space between. So to address the space between, I'd love for us to dive into one of my favorite moments in the entire Bible. And it's in Acts chapter 9. If you've got your Bible, I'd prefer it if you read it in your own Bible instead of the screen. But we're going to put it there just in case you don't have it in just a moment. Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through verse 42. This is an incredibly massive moment. While you're turning there, let me set this up just for a second. Let's see that. You've got this guy named Peter. We're going to meet two other characters in a moment, but for a moment, say everybody say, Hi Peter. Hi Peter. Hi Peter. Hi, Peter. We met Peter, Peter. Alright? So this moment, Acts chapter 9, just like that moment between the engagement and the wedding day, the space between. This is a Moment trapped between two bookends of massiveness and the entire goodness of the gospel. Because just before it, we've got this moment that almost overshadows what we're about to read. This moment where Paul, who was Saul, is on a conkey, on the road to Damascus, to persecute and kill Christians. And he meets Jesus. And he becomes Paul. And everything changes. And then on the other bookend, We've got where Peter goes and meets a man named Cornelius. And in the Gentile world, for the first time, the gospel of Jesus breaks loose because of what Cornelius, as a person of peace, is able to open up. But trapped in the middle of those two bookends is this incredibly beautiful moment that we often miss. This space between moment that I want to harp on for this morning. So if you've got now, this is something that I know used to happen here at Summit. It is something that I have I try to recreate as often as possible because most of the people I preach to are students, uh, and they get bored. So uh, I think this is an awesome thing. So I hope you do this. If you don't do this anymore, we're about to do it anyway. So get ready. I want to get a little crazy and burn some calories when we read the Word of God. This is really cool, by the way. I love history. This is a tradition that's been going on for over 2,000 years since the days of the early church. They would stand when they read the Word. Tabitha would help them by making these expensive garments. And it would be the clothes they would wear. That's why in a second you're going to see them presenting these garments. Look look what we have. Because now that Tabitha has died, which we're going to see you know, when she's dead, they feel hopeless in the room. It's an endearing term. Dorcas, not Dorcas. Right? All right? Over there? All right, so Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Verse 37. In those days, she became ill when she died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since little was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, "Please, Peter, come without delay to us." And so Peter rose up, and he went with them. And he arrived. When he arrived, they took him to that upper room, and all the widows stood beside him. Here's that scene, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Tabitha had made while she was with them. Now Peter put them all outside. And he knelt down and he prayed. Everybody say, pray. And then turning to the light, he said, Tabitha, arise. Did I say, arise? And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and he raised her up. And then calling the saints and the widows back in, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. Wow. That scene, many of us have forgotten. You have seen. Thank you. That's awesome. Many of us have forgotten because it's bookended between Saul becoming Paul, meaning Jesus, and Peter and Cornelius, the gospel breaking loose into the Gentile world. But if it wasn't for this moment, some of what is to come wouldn't have happened. It's a beautiful space between And I think of the posture of paralysis. It reminds me of another text in John chapter 11. You might notice in John 11. Two beautiful moments in John 11. There's just one massive moment in John 11 where Jesus brings back to life Lazarus. Right? He calls him out of the grave. So I want to set up a scene really fast from Jesus and Lazarus. Jesus is out of town. And he receives a letter. For Mary and for Martha. You remember the story when there's Martha, she's in the kitchen, and Mary's washing Jesus' feet with her tears, and she's the and her hair, and, and, and Mar- Martha's upset with Mary because she's not doing the work that should be important, um, but Jesus actually honors Mary because she sees him in the room. She's present in the room, um, and both have beautiful hearts. They love Jesus, and Lazarus is actually their family. They love Jesus. So they send him a letter, and they say, Jesus, Jesus, the one you love, the letter says, Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Around Jesus, there's there's some of the disciples with him. Jesus looks to the disciples and he says, this sickness will not end in death. This sickness will not end in death. Notice what he does not say here. He does not say in that space between moment. He doesn't say the sickness won't travel through death won't pass through death he says it won't be confidence it won't end in death there's a a distinct difference there I don't know where in Christian world in Christian circles we got to a point where we decided that following Jesus is skittles rainbows and Bears, because it's not it's it's often difficult if we remember the early disciples I mean, all of the original disciples except for one, who was you know John on Island Patmos. We get Revelation from what he wrote. I mean, they're all martyred, die a martyr's death. They're crushed alive. They're burnt. They're 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 uh, they're stoned to death. Many of the early Christians are drugged behind chariots uh, and horses. They're they're ripped in two. They're stack a stone on the top of another and another and another until they're crushed to death. Uh, Nero, an emperor of the day, he would. On, on tall posts and set them on fire to light his cruel parties. This is real. So, why do we decide at some point in Western American Christian culture that following Jesus is still those rainbows and carrots? But it's not. Is it full of joy? Yes. Is it full of happiness? Of course. Is, is, is it full of truth and promise and hope that will never be despaired? Yes. Because... The name of Jesus. But it will be hard. In fact, call of discipleship. You read Bonhoeffer. It's a call to come and die. You take up your cross and you follow me, that's what Jesus says. So he doesn't promise that it won't travel through death, but he does promise that it won't end there. Why won't it end there? Because Jesus knows of the resurrection. There's no the hope of the resurrection. If someone dies now, we pray, God, Father, they Heal them. Heal them. Heal them. But if he doesn't heal them now, it doesn't mean he hasn't healed them. Because we know that the resurrection actually passes through death. And when it travels through death, we live forever in the name of Jesus. That's why we are not sitting in a corner weeping. But we come out victoriously in hope, out of despair, because of the name of Jesus and the resurrection. It will travel through. This job, this situation, this illness, this hope, this dream, but it won't end there in the name of Jesus. But then let's look at a, a text. So we're going to put it up on the screen. So very quick look at John chapter 11. I'll only put just a couple verses, a few verses. You don't have to stand. I'm just going to read them. They're going to be up here as well. Jesus works his way back into town. And he already speaks with Martha. And now he goes to speak with Mary. Very similar conversation to what he just had with Martha. And this is what it says when he comes to Mary. Verse verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. What a big thing. If you were only in the room, this would happen. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping. Don't miss this. And the Jews who had come with her were also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to so him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? Some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man and also have kept this man from dying? And Paul's there before we go to the next just two verses. Jesus wept. Do you know what that means for us? It gives us the okay to grieve in the space between and then not right now. Jesus, because here's what I would have done. guys. Here's what I would have done. I would have moved to two verses we're about read. I would have come in the room if I was God. I feel like this is what I would have done. I would have walked straight to the tomb and was like, Martha, Mary, it's going to be okay. Guys, it's going to be alright. I would have gone to the tune and I would have said Lazarus Come out, and he could come out and we had go a big party and it had been awesome. Why didn't he do that? What did he do instead? Did you read it? What did he do first? Do you remember? We just read it. He came in the room, and he didn't just pass through, but he stayed in the room. He was present in the space. He was right there with them. He talked to Martha. Then he talked to Mary. He felt their pain. He was totally grieved. He was totally overwhelmed with the hurt of what was going on with their brother Lazarus. And Jesus wept. He cried. Why did he cry? He knew what he was about to do in probably two minutes from then, but he wept because he was in the room and he knew how bad it hurt. It's the okay, the invitation to grieve in the not right now in the space between. I don't feel like you've got to pass right through me. Let me just tell you something I've learned and I'm learning. Is in the not right now and the space between and the hard pit is actually in the desert? That's often where the greatest goal is to be. And we want to work so fast and walk so quickly through that room, get through it, push your aside. But we miss missed stuff in our pockets with all the gold that's there in the hard places. It's there in the space between. But the greatest character is found and developed it. And the greatest goal is mine. That's where we grow. We wonder why we haven't changed our trajectory. It's because we just pass through and hope away and wish away the hard times. We feel like following Jesus is skills and rainbows. But it's not. Then we get to the last. confident in the power of the Holy Spirit. This might come as a shock to many of you guys, but um, it it blows my mind. Tim Tebow doesn't play football anymore. Uh, He's a baseball player now, and apparently a pretty decent baseball player. Uh, So that's awesome. I wish I could just decide, you know what? I want to be a croquet player. I want to play croquet. Uh, I can't. I I don't understand croquet, but I want to play croquet. I I wish I could do that, but I can't. But if you're Tim Tebow, you can be uh, a missionary. You can be a professional football player, a school Trophy winner. Uh, you can be a sports broadcaster. And then you can be a Major League Baseball player. That's enough. Because I'm um, Tim Tebow, I have the looks of an angel. Uh, oh, the athletic ability of uh, I don't know, somebody who's great. LeBron James, but no. I don't like LeBron. I apologize. Um, so, Go Hawks We're terrible. So, Tim Tebow plays baseball. Now, on his journey into the major league system, for the Mets, they, yes, they signed him to a minor league deal. He has to first pass through the, the uh, instructional leagues of the major league baseball system. And when he steps up, he steps up to his first pitch, his first step back, in the instructional league for the New York Mets, in the major league system, and he knocks the ball out of the park. First pitch, first step back, and everybody's like, oh, yep, yeah, got to win them and we just move on, right? <laughs> then Tim Tebow goes from the instructional league to the next step in his progress, which is the fall league system. So he's a part of, of the New York Mets system, the Arizona Fall Leagues, and he plays on a, on a team called the Scottsdale Scorpions. What an awesome name! We're the Scottsdale Scorpions. I uh, get that tattoo. Uh, so he's on the Scottsdale Scorpions, and Tim Tebow comes to his, one of his first games, his first game on, this, on the Scottsdale Scorpions in the Arizona Fall League. And this, this scene that I'm about to tell you about is actually from last, past October. This just happened only a few months ago in October of 2016. So Tim Tebow finishes the game of his first game of the Arizona Fall League. And then after the game he walks over to the stands and he approaches the stands for an autograph signing time. Because Tim Tebow is the guy who he sees, he wants to be present in the Love the fan and he walks up and there's these people and he's signing autographs and in the middle of that There's this one guy who has a seizure and falls down and collapses and goes unconscious And everybody in the space doesn't know what to do. He's right there he's at Tim Tebow He fell down. So what does Tim Tebow do? There's actually a picture here. Tim Tebow leans over and he, and he lays a hand on this a true story You can see a modern-day miracle? He lays a hand on the man, begins to pray over him, and the guy gets back up. Let me actually put it into the words of an ABC Channel 15 reporter, Carrie Van Horn, who was there on the scene. These are her tweets. In the moment, this is what she said. This is incredible. Tebow signing autographs, period. Van has what looks like seizures, period. Not moving, period. Tebow puts hand on him and says a prayer, period. Man breathes period, all caps, wow, exclamation mark, that's awesome, right, this is ABC channel 15, not TVN, and they got to witness a miracle, this is actually her follow up tweet right after that, she said, quote, I just witnessed a miracle, how awesome is that, right, so here's Tim Tebow, he walks confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit means. And so let's continue to look at Peter and those miracles he did with Aeneas and Tabitha. If you read it, and you know some of the greater of the gospel, it's an eerie significance and similarity to two other big miracles. This is what I mean. This is really cool, by the way. Alright, you got the healing of Aeneas. Peter walks in and heals Aeneas. We paralyzed right here. So we just read that, right? And, and the text we read in Acts chapter 9. Well, if you go back and look at another text, in Luke chapter 5, you'll find Jesus who heals the paralytic man. And in that scene, who, who do you think was there? Peter? Yeah, Peter was there. Peter's in the room. Jesus heals the paralytic man. Do you know what Jesus says to the paralytic man? Go back and read it in Luke 5. He says, rise up and take up your mat. Do you know what Peter, nobody you know what he just said to Aeneas? He said, "Rise and make your bed." Where in the world do you think he learned that? Jesus says, "Rise up and take up your mat." Peter says with says, "Rise up and make up your bed."
1: Where do you think he learned it?
0: Yeah, I think I think that was right. Jesus, i a hard time with this. Thing. And if that doesn't seem cool, if you look at that healing of Tabitha, who was dead and brought back to life by who? Who was a part of that miracle? Peter. Peter. But who did he do it in the name of? Jesus. When he healed Aeneas, he said, Jesus heals you. Do you see the significance? But Peter was the one there. Peter, this is what he does. He says, Tabitha, arise. That's what he actually says. He it straight from the Greek to the English. Tabitha, arise. Do you know what this other miracle this is? Another miracle in Mark chapter 5. When Jesus brings back to life, Jairus' daughter, guys, don't miss this. This is massive. Massive for my life. He brings back to life a dead Jairus' daughter. He shows up. Everybody's weeping, It's similar to Lazarus in that situation. He walks into the room. And this is what Jesus does. He tells everybody to get out of the room. He says, everybody, please leave the room. Except for three of his closest disciples, one of which being, any guesses? Peter. And Jairus, Jairus and his wife. The, the mother and the father of the little daughter who died. Jesus walks in. And he says, "Hey, everybody, please leave the room except for Peter. Probably Peter, James, and John. We know Peter's in the room. And then, and then you've got Jairus and his wife in the room. That's it. So he makes everybody leave. Do you know what Peter just did? He came in the room. What did he do? He asked everybody to leave the room. Only difference is he didn't leave, let the disciples stay. Well, there weren't even yet, right? So he's in the room. He lets everybody out of the room." And then Jesus looks at, at, uh, at Jairus' daughter and he says, little girl, arise. What did Peter say? Tabitha, arise. What did, what did Jesus say to, to Jairus' daughter? Little girl? Do you know what it actually is in the Greek? If you translate it? What Jesus said to Jairus' daughter is, talitha kumi. It's like, come here. Talitha kumi. Do you know what it translates when Peter called away uh, Tabitha? He it's, Tabitha kumi. Tabitha kumi. Tabitha kumi. Are you with me? It's off by one letter. One letter. Where in the world do you think he learned to do these miracles? Watching Jesus. Tabitha kumi. Tabitha. All he knows how to do, what he knows how to do, is what he saw Jesus do. Cool, cool, cool side note man. You know, Jesus knows what to do because he sees what the Father has already done. If you see me, you see the Father. Okay. Are you getting this? My failure is not limited His power. How do I do the things that he's called me to do? I heard that we have been looking at Genesis here at Summit and, and some different ideas of what it might look like to step into the things God might be calling you, How to move forward, how to move on. Well, how in the world do we move on like if we're stuck in a posture of paralysis and we don't actually believe? That the things that are on the pages of this Bible are true. Because I feel like, like Paul, if they're not, what well, was me? Because I've leveraged everything with my family. I, I, I'm living my income. I've leveraged everything for this to be true. But what if it is? What if it is true? Tabitha, Kumi. How the, he just raised a dead woman to life. Yes, in the name of Jesus, but like Tibo, Peter was the one who laid the hand on her. That's incredible. Have you ever noticed that if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then what's the next book, do you know? Acts, the one we're looking at. If you, I dare you to do this, next time you look at Acts, cover up the names of the people doing the You'd think it's the next gospel, the fifth one. You'd think it was just Jesus doing Not patient, he's impatient. He he doesn't know what to do. He denies Jesus three times, and he's not expected. He's fleeing, as are all of us. So how does he move? What happens to change his posture from power to conflict? impatient to patient? It's fleeing to what happened? Anybody can guess? He sees somebody. Who does he see? Who does he see? Who does he see? He sees Jesus. Jesus walks through the door. He, he puts his hand with down and Thomas, too. And in the hole where the nails were bored. And he sees the risen Jesus. He sees the victory and the victor. And he moves in an instant from cow. To confident kind of and patient, take fleeing to expect it, because he saw Jesus. Many of us had that moment. We were on our knees. Jesus, I'm gonna follow you and I'm, I'm coming after you. But we've moved from that moment to this moment, where we're on our, our mat. You know what just happened? We did not rise up and take up our mat and go. We're still trapped on the mat. Put the mat away and go into the world as if we could dare to dream. That the brokenness and the rubble, the stones could be stacked again and rebuilt in the name of Jesus. Because I actually dare to dream that what's on this page could be true. I'm not saying we're perfect. But here's what we expect. We expect the works of Jesus. Why aren't we doing the works of Jesus? Why is it? You know why we don't see the works of Jesus? I think often it's because we have forgotten how to imitate first the ways of Jesus. If we want the works of Jesus, we better imitate the ways of Jesus. That's, that's the only way Peter ended you know, up doing it. And it wasn't just seeing the empty holes in Jesus' wrist. But it was then a few moments later when Jesus and Peter's in the crowd. And Jesus said, Matthew 28, all authority, everybody say authority, in heaven and on earth has been given to me and therefore go. All that this All authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. So, why is he saying that? Do you know what he's doing there? He's extending the authority to them. He, he's, the ruler, the victor, is extending the rule and the reign to them. The authority to Peter, to me, to you. All authority in heaven and on earth. And then what does he do? He sends them the helper who happens to be who? The Come on, scholars, who? The Holy Spirit. So he gives them the authority, and in the Spirit, he gives them the power. All authority and all power I give to you, and therefore, go. That's how we move in confidence and patience and expectancy. That's how we step from a posture of paralysis where we can't get off our mat and move out into a posture of power. Because we're not just any more people of relationship, but now we've become people of responsibility. Looking and imitating the ways of Jesus and now stepping out in boldness and courage to move in the works of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, one last word. John 14:12. 12. I know it? Trusting what happened at the cross is true. Trusting there is power in the name of Jesus. Trusting that the Holy Spirit does live in me if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. What is the one thing right now that you need to leave right here as if the cross right room? What's the one thing? You've got to leave here. So we walk out these doors, we become people who are ready to step into a room of brokenness ring Go in the authority and the power given to us by the one who has all authority and power, Jesus. Would you go into the broken places and stack the stones in the name of Jesus? Would you go into dark rooms and flip the switch on in the name of Jesus? Would you be people who call away those things that have been dead for a long time in the name of Jesus? And would you leave this place leaving your mat rolled up and stuck in the corner as a memorial to remember that we have been called. Awake and to rise, would you go with your mat staying right here? Would you go standing and running, rejoicing in the name of Jesus? In the name of Jesus, power of the Father and the hope and the power given.